The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. Welcome to those of you joining online. If you're here this morning, we're glad you're here and encourage you to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 14. I think it's so cool that we are landing on Genesis 14 this week. That song, I asked Sean to... um, do that song. It's such an encouraging song, such a powerful song, our God and our King. And I think it's going to be our anthem for 2024 as we look forward to what all the Lord has in store for us. And we're having um, our annual meeting after service, and the Lord is good, man. Uh, You guys are serving, you're sacrificing, and God is blessing Uh, the work of the ministry of OPCC in a really um, miraculous way. In a day and age when statistically most churches in America are declining, we are seeing incredible growth that I think is nothing short of a miracle. And so we need to look forward and we need to celebrate and we need to also dream with Jesus a little bit. And I think it's fantastic that we land here in Genesis chapter 14 because as I wrestled with the scripture and talked with the Lord and studied and poured over it and asked what he would have me to share with his people, the body of Christ today, it became apparent that God in his sovereignty knew that we needed to hear this sermon on this day. I unpacked it a little bit in the sermon series in the summer on humility when we were celebrating humility and And today we get to dive into it a little bit more. One of the most difficult things that we're going to experience during this sermon is my pronunciation of all these crazy names, okay? (laughs) So please, a little little grace, because uh, they're out there. We we looked last week and... um, we saw where Abraham, or Abram, he's navigating this experience in which he's coming off of a low. He had not listened to God, and he took things into his own hands, and he went down to Egypt during the famine because he was afraid. And it caused him to walk through a humiliating experience where the Lord corrected him, And he went back to Bethel, and he had learned, as the Lord was growing him, which is what the Lord does, is he patiently stretches and grows us. And so we picked up last week where he had led him to separate from his nephew Lot, which is what he should have done when he initially answered the call of God and left uh, the land that he was living in. He was to leave his family, but he took Lot and his, his father with him, and, and eventually he's listening to God. And so when we pick up today, we'll see that discernment that he has developed that um, God continues to stretch him as he's traveling on the highway of holiness and he's walking by faith. He's learning how to pick up what the Lord is laying down and how to listen to him um, with ears and ears of faith and eyes of faith and walk out as obedience. And so we come to this chapter 14 and there's a crisis that happens uh, to Lot. And it, it has to do with what's going on in the world politically, 
where Abram is living out on Mount Mamre, and he is not involved in the affairs of the world. He's involved in the affairs of what God has called him to. And it says, all right, a little party music. Thank the Lord for the kids' ministry. Uh, at, that, at the time when Armaphel was king of Shinar, Ariark, king of El- Elisar, Kedor Laomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goyim, these kings went out to war against Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, and Shamabur, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. All right. I like crank it up down there, man. And all these latter kings joined forces in the valley of Sidon, that is the Dead Sea Valley. And for 12 years, they had been subject to Kedar Laomer. But in the 13th year, they had rebelled. So in the 14th year, Kedar Laomer and the kings allied with him went out and defeated the Raphites in Ashtoreth, Karnaim, and the Zuzites in Ham, and the Emites in Sheva Karathame, and the Horites in the hill country of Seir, as far as El Paran near the desert. And then they turned back and went to En Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and they conquered the whole territory of the Amalekites, as well as the Amorites who were living in Hazazon Tamar. Then the king of Sodom, so you got this group of kings that have kind of gone on this uh, sort of a war path. You got these other kings, the king of Sodom is leading, the king of uh, uh, Gomorrah, the king of Adma, and the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, marched out and they drew up their battle lines in the valley of Sidon against Kedor Laomer, king of Elam, title king of Goyim, and Armathel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Eleazar. Four kings against five. Now the valley of Sidon was full of tar pits. You got to watch out for those, man. And when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of the men fell into the tar pits, and the rest fled to the hills. And the four kings seized all of the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food, and then they went away. And they also carried off... Abram's nephew, Lot, and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. Now, I kind of got mixed up when I taught this over the summer, and I thought it was the five kings. um, There were four with Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and there were five of the other, but it's just the opposite. These four kings were more powerful than the five kings, and the five kings Um, In the past, for several years, they had been having to pay tribute to this one king. And he basically was like, hey, if you don't pay us a tax, if you don't give me a tribute every year, I'm going to come down there and take what I want. And so every year they had been paying this tribute off of uh, the provision that they were able to uh, provide for their families. And they got tired of that. And they felt like they had gotten this position where they could be strong and so they decided to rebel and revolt against that and, and, and like establish their independence. And they go up and they get into this battle, these five kings against these four kings to gain their independence. And the long and short of it is, is they get hammered by the four. I mean, they just smoke them and leave them running. And, 
And it says that when they're running and retreating, men, some of the men, it was such, they were so terrified they were falling in these, these tar pits, which sounds awful. Um, and some of them got captured and they took all their stuff. So they went to battle thinking it was going to be a great victory, and it, they ended up getting um, just defeated and, and people being carried off, a lot of their women and children that would become slaves, and um, a lot of their, 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 their stuff, man, just got carried away. And Lot was a nephew, that, that this nephew that separated um, from Abram in the prior uh, chapter that we learned about, he gets carried away, man, in the cap, uh, and is held captive. But the story goes on, it says, a man who had escaped came and reported this to Abram. He, and Abram the Hebrew, and says, now Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre, the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol and Aner, all of whom were allied with Abram. So there was these guys that had sort of formed an alliance with Abram, and they were, they were sort of doing life together. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out 318 trained men born in his household, and he went in pursuit as far as Dan. And during the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. And he recovered all the goods, and he brought back his relative Lot and his possessions together with the women and the other people. And so this is reported back to Abe, and again, he is separated. He has been called out by God. He is not intertwined in the affairs of the world. That is not the focus of his life. He's living up on Mount Mamre. He's walking with the Lord. He has repented of uh, his disobedience of going down to Egypt. He has gone back to Bethel and he has received the promise of God and he is living his life the way that he is supposed to. But when this report comes back to him that his nephew has been carried off captive, it moves him because he loves Lot. And because of his love and his compassion for Lot, he feels compelled and led of the Lord to do something about it. So he summons, notice, the men who he had trained that were born in his household. Not, not just men that he found, but men that as God had blessed him and provided for him, he trained them and, and he, um, through whatever uh, motive that he used that 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 he had people around him and, and they established a force that was ready to go into battle. He, he taught them not only how to take care of things in order to build and move forward, but he trained them for battle. And he, the one, goes after the four that were powerful enough to just defeat five. So what do we learn? We learn in the kingdom, you will always feel and appear to be outnumbered. In the kingdom of God, when you are walking with God, when you are traveling down the highway of holiness and you are living a life of faith, you will feel outnumbered. If you never feel outnumbered to the point where you are a little afraid, you are stuck on the shoulder of the highway of holiness and moving nowhere. It's when we are moving and we are advancing and conquering territory for the king that we feel these experiences of being outnumbered. When you're fighting for the Lord, um, you will always feel outnumbered and you will always have the advantage. 
even though it looks like you're outnumbered. You always have that. You will be walking in this place where your provision is coming from the Lord. And I'm reminded of Gideon and the judges. Uh, he was going into battle and he had a, 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 a huge army. Uh, I think it was thousands. And God tells him, cut them in half. And he cuts them in half. And, and then he tells him, take them down to the river. And the ones that drink like this uh, uh, and the ones that lap with the hand and the ones that bend over and drink like uh, uh, an animal would, he separates them even further until Gideon now only has 300 people. And God tells him to go into the battle with 300. He reduces his army. Why? Because he was teaching Gideon and us uh, he wanted to preserve for us in his word that when it feels like we are outnumbered, we are not if we are fighting his battles. Now, when you're fighting your battles and you're not focusing on the Lord and you get caught up in what you want and your, your heart is not in the right place with the Lord, then you, you, you could be outnumbered and you could get hammered like the people of Sodom did, Right? Four guys can run over you very easily. But when you are walking with the Lord, you can be one against four and always come out ahead because the battle belongs to the Lord. And that's why we sing that song. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. It's on my knees talking to the Lord because I understand where my provision comes from. And so what he does is because of his love for his nephew and the divine call of God on his life, he rescues lots and he carries away all the spoils that the other kings, the five kings had lost um, along with Lot and the, and the people and he brings them back. Well, watch this. After Abram returned from defeating Kedar Laomer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom, came out to meet him in the valley of Shiva. That is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So this guy, um, Mel, shows up. <laughs> We've not seen him before. The Bible doesn't tell us very much about him. We see him again, um, I think, in one of the Psalms, and we see him in Hebrews. Um, some people think that it is a Christophany, where it is Christ showing up in the form of man to, to uh, come to Abraham. But that doesn't make sense, because when you look at the book of Hebrews, it says that, um, that Christ is a high priest like Melchizedek. So if he was Melchizedek, why wouldn't the writer of Hebrews just say he was Melchizedek? So I don't know. Long and short of it is, we don't know who this guy is. All we know is that he was uh, a person who believed in the God of Abraham. They were on the same page. And he is viewed as a priest of God most high. He is even talked about as being greater than Abraham, even though Abraham, we would look at and say, he is the father of our faith in the sense that the faith came to him. And he is the, the greatest patriarch of our belief system because God first spoke to him. And even all of the descendants uh, of the kingdom of God come through his line via uh, the Messiah when Jesus comes and, and he is actually uh, our God and King and fulfills the promise. And so this guy shows up and he blesses uh, Abe and he serves him. Um, there's a celebration. He serves him bread and he serves him wine. 
And, and, Ga- and Abe gives him a, a tenth of all the spoils. And so like we look at a lot of times, you know, we practice and encourage folks. I've always practiced and make no bones about telling you that I give the Lord a 10% of my income, man. I don't even bat an eye. I haven't for all of my life since I was 22 and the Lord has been faithful. And, and, and that's rooted a, a little bit right here, man. It's like we see the principle being taught even before the law is giving. The first patriarch honors God with a tenth of all the spoils that he brings back from this, this battle. And, uh, and so we, we, I think it encourages us, us to walk that out. But, but we also see that the priest of God serves him bread and wine, and that wasn't because he was hungry. Because he had just brought back everything that he took from all these people. They had more provision than they needed. It was a celebration. Bread and wine is always part of a celebration. And so Abe gives him a tenth because he wants to ensure that all the glory of what had happened went to God. And um, Mel gives him bread and wine. And they have, if you will, a little party there encouraging one another. After the battle. But but you, you can't miss this. This is so important. The king of Sodom showed up too. And he said to Abraham, you give me the people and you keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, with raised hand, I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God most high creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me, to Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre. Let them have their share. So Abe basically says, I, I, won't, I won't take anything from you. The Lord is my provider, and I don't want any of it. The only thing I want is the tent that I have given to this priest of God over here to honor God in that and take care of this guy and, 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 and what he's doing. And then the other guys who went with me that are not a part of my household, that they just uh, allied with me, you can strike a deal with them, but you're not striking a deal with me. I don't want any of it. You take all of it. (laughs) And so um, what we have to recognize in this moment is that, that, that Abram is developing deeper discernment. Remember, he, he, at first he didn't have any discernment because he goes down to Egypt. Now he's developed some discernment because he recognizes God is calling him to separate from Lot. And he recognizes that he is to go rescue Lot in this um, perishing crisis that he's experiencing. But now he recognizes the kingdom of Sodom has showed up. And what you need to understand is that after every victory in your life, when God does an amazing work in your life, you can bank on it, both um, uh, 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 the the king of Sodom and the king of Salem are going to show up. 
They're both like that. The enemy is going to come and try to strike a deal with you from all the fruit that you've just experienced in your life. He always does. We see it like we see it over and over in the New Testament and the Old Testament. Jesus goes out before he starts his ministry. He's encountering this deep, intimate relationship with God the Father. So God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are communing with one another like they never have before because God the Son had never taken on human flesh. He goes out into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights and he fasts and he's getting ready to launch and choose his disciples. And as he comes out of that 40-day fast, which 40 days is always a significant number in the Bible, it represents completeness. What happens to him at the end of the 40 days? The devil shows up and tries to strike a deal. He just won the battle. He just gone through this experience of, of having this spiritual high and, and, and experiencing the fruit from God the Father, having this communion with him. And all of a sudden, the enemy shows up and wants to strike a deal. And that's what I have found in my life is that every time I experience some kind of incredible victory where spiritually it feels like I've just overcome something, it's like the enemy shows up and tries to get me over here to like look over at this other direction, what I got for you over here. Like an incredible uh, uh, temptation. And so we have to recognize some of the things that are happening in and around Abram. Now, as we look at this and we go, okay, man, this is a really cool story. I like some of the things that you've said so far, but how do I take this? Like I came to church today, man, I, I didn't just come like because I, I, I'm supposed to. Man, I need something to take out of here. I got something for you today. The first thing I want you to learn from this passage, everybody, is we know people held hostage by darkness. Some of you came in here today and you may be one of them. But certainly we all know people who are held hostage by darkness. And not all of them are outside of the kingdom of God. Lot, we know, is talked about as a righteous man. He got all the way out on the edge of the promise, but somehow he made it in because the Bible in the New Testament speaks of him as being righteous. But he was stuck, man. He was stuck of living outside of the promise. And when things got really bad for him, Abraham, God used Abram and called him to go rescue him. Okay, so, so sometimes it's people that are in the kingdom of God, but are not living for the kingdom of God. So they're believing, they want to believe like Abraham, but they're living like Lot, and they get themselves in really bad trouble. And sometimes the, the call of God is for us to recognize when we are to go and rescue somebody that is in that position. We all know people like that. But we also know people that are uh, in a place where they, they don't know God at all. They don't, even, they don't even know that a highway of holiness exists and that Jesus is the on-ramp and the good news of the gospel is, is that anybody, all are welcome to come and take that on-ramp and start traveling down the highway of holiness. And they're held hostage in darkness. And we know people like that. There are people like that that live in our subdivisions that we work with, um, that are extended family members, that, that are, are neighbors of ours that we encounter at, um, at, the, at the coffee shops and at the, at the grocery stores and at the little league ball games and, and, and whatever we're doing, we're encountering people that are held hostage by darkness. And that is the mission of our church is to rescue those people. 
The mission of this church is not to look at how can we take care of us. If the mission of this church was to take care of us, we would have never built the cross. I didn't need the cross to feel better about myself, and I didn't need the cross to help take care of the people that were already inside of the church. I needed the cross to show the world something is happening in here, and you're supposed to be a part of it. And that's why we built the cross. It wasn't for the people who were here. It's for the people who weren't here. And many of you have come as a result of the cross. And so we were outward thinking. And so as we think and plan and develop our strategies and look at our budgets and and look out into the future and say, well, what do we do and how do we do it and what's the best ministry we have? It should always be, how do we rescue people who are stuck in darkness? If it ever becomes, well, I want some for me, you've become a club and you don't care anymore. You don't care that people are stuck. And as, if anything I want to ensure as a pastor is that as part of my job is to help us understand we are a church. We rescue people who are hurting. We are not into building programs and taking care of programs. We are into helping people experience transformation. We look, as we even learn in discipleship, we, we learned in our discipleship group, one of the things that we learned this last week was that uh, part of the gospel is, is people who've been touched by the gospel are able to look in dark places of the world and take the light over there. And we rescue people. We, we think that way. We recognize that our lives are about that. We recognize that our church is about that. We recognize our very purpose is to go and make disciples that make disciples. And the only way we can make disciples is reach disciples. And so we go into those dark places and teach them how and who the Lord is. And we must remain aware of this reality or we'll lose sight of the purpose of why our existence is. And then we become something that, that starts having bickering and disunity. And it, it's really, really, frankly, something I would never want to be a part of. Like if the church ever gets to a point like where it's just, it's just focused on itself and it's not looking outward. Like, you know what I say? Like I, 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 I say uh, uh, to, I've said to Rick the other day, we were, we were talking about some budgeting things and, and giving money away. And I said, Rick, in the next 10 years, we're going to give a lot of money away and it's going to make you really uncomfortable. <laughs> I like that, man. I like thinking of us as being an outpost of where whatever God calls us to do, whether it's helping people or, or planning other churches or, 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 or whatever it is, man, that we just have an outward focus in, of helping people and rescuing people and supporting that kind of mentality. And so we know people that are held hostage by darkness. And, you, and, and individually, we have to own that and, and be focused on them and live our lives in such a way, even to the point like, like this, man, is that there comes times where we get so comfortable with each other that we will spend all our time one, together and we need to spend some of our time together. But at some point in time, we need to break off. Like, boy, I love my discipleship group. I get a lot of life from them. Um, Abby loves them as well. We enjoy going. Um, the Lord has been gracious. Um, but I've told Abby, the Lord is calling us out of that group. She said, I don't want to go. I said, I don't either, but the Lord is calling us. The people that need rescued is where we're supposed to be. These people are fine, and they will always be a part of our lives, and we will go. 
And we, and we will believe God will meet us there. And if we wouldn't have believed God in the first place, we wouldn't even have those relationships in that group. And I've walked with many of you in discipleship and continued to walk away from it and continue to go out because I want to rescue and care for people who are trapped in darkness and prepare them and help them to become all that God has designed them to be. And sometimes it means that we have to sacrifice and lay down our lives so that we can see the kingdom continue to move forward because we only have a certain amount of time. And then we're dead. All you do for Jesus is happening right here right now. And if you're waiting till retirement, you're screwing your life up. You're just screwing it up. Yeah, Abe was 80 years old, man. He's going into battle. 80 years old. And so we know people held hostage by darkness. The second thing I want you to take away is let's train 318 men and women for the king. He said, we're God said, man, like he used this guy, he comes and brings a word to Abraham, and says, hey, lots in trouble. I really believe uh, Abram laid this before the Lord. We don't have all the details, but we can t- look at how Abram's life is developing spiritually. And, and I think he probably takes that before the Lord, and the Lord tells him to go. And so he summons the 318 men that are born in his household. And he says, let's go. Let's go into battle. And then there were some other guys that had enough respect for him. They weren't even a part of his household, but they saw the provision and the blessing of God falling on Abram's life that they wanted to be a part of it because people knew that if they were close to Abraham, there were residual blessings following off his life. That's why um, God says in the promise, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. That's one of the reasons America has such a high view of, uh, of Israel is because we have always been a Christian nation and we want to take them because we know the word or take care of them because the word says that he will bless those who bless them and, and, and curse those who curse them. That's why, like, that's why we've always been a huge ally of theirs. That may be surprising to you, but I believe it to be true. And so like we look at this and he, these people were being blessed because of it. And, and Abram, he had these 318 men who were born in his household. And so what I would say to you is let us train 318 men and 318 women for the king for a grand total of 636 men and women who are trained for the king. Not 636 men and women who come to church. Not 636 men and women who give. Not 636 men and women who serve. But 636 men who can hear the voice of the Lord. And women who can hear the voice of the Lord. And aren't afraid to walk out of the light and take the light into the darkness and rescue somebody who's perishing. A man or a woman who can hear from the Lord. A man or a woman who's walking in this place of connection with God that they can be sent into battle. They can go to war. I've already shared some of this vision a little bit with the men's ministry a a couple of months ago as we've got some guys, man, and we've got some women that are sort of taking ownership of of some uh, of a call of the Lord and they're trying to work this out. And and what I I, I told the guys, I was like, man, look, look at this verse. Like, what if we had that in our church? What if OPCC had 318 men that were trained for battle? Not not trained to do organizational stuff in the church. They were trained for war. 
trained to go in the battle and know how to fight for somebody whose family's falling apart. 318 women who were at any moment's notice could be summoned of the Lord to go after that, that woman right there who's hurting. She, she needs you. And they could hear God say it. I believe God wants to say it. And we would say, well, why isn't anybody um, doing it? And why isn't God saying it? He is saying it. We need more people who are listening to what he's saying so that the work of the kingdom can get done. 636 men and women trained for war. And 636 men and women who know how to choose Salem over Sodom. That's what Abram did. You see, Salem is the word for Jerusalem. It is the capital city. It is all about what's happening in the world. It is the promised land. And Abe had to make a choice. Was he going to choose Salem or Sodom? There's always a temptation. The enemy will always show up after every battle. I've been in this thing for a long time. And man, I'm telling you, I can experience a victory and the enemy will always come up and either try to tempt me with some uh, emotional discouragement or tempt me with uh, something else to get me off track of what God is doing. And, and, and you've got to be effective at this place in your life where you're able to choose Salem over Sodom because Sodom always wants to distract you and get you focused on yourself. And so what did they do in choosing Salem over Sodom? Well, what is the big deal about that? Uh, well, Mel comes and he encourages Abe, um, and Abe encourages Mel because he supports him and gives him a, a portion of the spoils, and Mel brings this bread and wine, and what do we know about Mel? He is priest of God Most High. What do we know about Abram? He is called of most God Most High. So what are they doing to one another? They're pointing each other to God Most High, not the world most low. Like they're, 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 Sodom comes and says, look at what we can do, bro. You take the money, I'll take the people. And Abe says, I don't need any of it. I don't want anything from you. I don't want anything you can give me. I don't want anything that you were connected with. I want everything to come from my provider who has taught me that when I try to make partnership with the world, I just screw everything up. And so I want to know what's coming from him. And so we point each other to God most high and we begin to experience what it feels like to choose Salem over Sodom. And so that brings us to the big idea. And what we see in this text is the Lord likes to celebrate. <laughs> like he likes to celebrate. And as we see what is going on here with Abe, we see that Mel brought bread and wine. Okay, these people aren't offended. I got them busy, okay? Yeah, hey, get on down your job, John, man. <laughs> so, uh, so the, Abe, uh, Mel brings bread and wine, okay? They symbolize intimacy. Where do we see bread and wine? Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper on the night before he is crucified, and he takes bread and wine. Okay, so he, they, the, the, the bread is symbolic of life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the manna from heaven. The wine is symbolic of joy. It comes after the battle. 
And so after we engage in the battle, battle, we always experience more life and more joy. But we also have to use discernment and recognize that the enemy is going to come. And what does he always try to steal, Jesus said? Your joy. He tries to come and steal, kill, and destroy your joy. And when he does that, then we feel weak. But when we recognize what he's doing and we don't take anything that he's trying to provide for us and we receive the bread and the wine in a celebration of the Lord, we recognize that these two things in, uh, uh, symbolize intimacy with the Lord. Abe's secret weapon was intimacy. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, ingenuity. It wasn't leadership. It wasn't any of that, man. Like, and what I would say to you, and I want you to hear like my heart's desire, like there's certain gifts that I have. Um, I have certain gifts in leading. I have certain gifts in, in preaching and teaching. Like I, I love to preach the teach and teach the word of God. And, and he's put that gifting in me. I believe I have the gift of faith and I can look and believe God for great things. But if you want to know what I can teach you more than anything else and want you to learn from me above anything else, it's my intimacy with the Lord. I could, it is what has led me to this place. It has never failed me. It continues to get deeper and deeper. It doesn't make me better than anyone else. It just makes me in this place where I, I can uh, align with Paul that I know and I understand the Lord. And when I'm asking for 318 men and when I'm asking for 318 women, I'm not looking for 318 men and women who can build great corporations. I'm looking for 318 men and women who will walk with Jesus who can hear from the voice of the Lord, who are making decisions that impact the church based upon their intimacy with the Lord and not anything else. Now, I do want to see all of the expertise and all of the experience that God has brought and provided to the body of Christ rolled into that, but not before that. Like we should never be making decisions based on anything else but our ability to hear from the Lord. And when we're walking that out, man, we will be in this place where God will begin to do an outpouring of his spirit on this place that will shock this community and change this world. God didn't call me here just to build a big church. I don't care about that. I don't, I don't care about fame. There was a time where I got confused and the Lord had to take me on my own Egyptian humility lesson. And, and I did care about that, but I don't care about that. All I care about is that when I die, people would know that, man, I laid it all down, that people could come to know the Lord Jesus Christ intimately. And they could look at my life and say, the power of God ran through that person's life. And I want to see the power of God run through our church in such a way that it's not just looking at a giant metal cross. It's looking at giant changed lives. And it's forced to reconcile. What am I doing with my life? Like these people over here seem to be so full of joy. They seem to be so happy. What is different about me and them? And they will come to realize that we are walking with the Lord. And so my challenge for you today as we think about this is would you be a three, one of the 318 would you be a trained man for the lord would you walk like like this like you don't here's the good news 
You don't, to be intimate with the Lord, you don't need a lot of time. You just need a lot of heart laid down on the altar for the Lord. And some of you have been in intimacy and you're not in intimacy. You need to correct that and lay it down before the Lord and say, Lord, here I am. And I found the way to grow your intimacy the fastest is humility. Is be humble. Admit when you're wrong. Confess to the Lord when you sin. Be vulnerable with God's people and you will find yourself growing at an unprecedented rate in, of intimacy because now you know in your weakness you must rely on the strength of the Lord and you're not looking for a reward from man and God is outpouring his spirit in your life and you're walking in the power and demonstration of the spirit. That's what a church is supposed to look like. That's what it looks like. It's filled with the Holy Ghost fire in the heart of every believer. The men are on fire. The women are on fire. The kids are on fire because they're looking at dad and going, that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. They're looking at mom and saying, that's what it looks like to serve in the body. They're not looking and seeing a, 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 somebody who's living like a lot and trying to believe like an Abraham. They're seeing Abraham, man. <laughs> they're like, I want that. And we get movement. Well, God has been, he's been good to our church. I think the church has doubled in the last year or so. As a matter of fact, I would just like to ask you, if you've been here for 18 months or less, would you stand up? 18 months or less. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. Okay. You can sit down. I tell a lot of these people, sometimes they feel like they're, they're newbies. I say, you guys have to understand the church that it, it's grown, and the church that has grown is bigger than the church that was there before it grew. There's more people. There's no such thing as a newbie in the kingdom. There's only intimacy. We're projected to bring in $100,000 above what we forecasted in income which the guys have done a great job doing their forecasts on that. And again, we, we, it's projected, but it's what it looks like if, if historically holds true. I mean, look at that and go, what is going on? It is the Lord. It is the Lord. So it calls for celebration. And I like Skittles. <laughs> My group makes fun of me because sometimes I get involved in a project and I'll lock in on a project I'll work, you could ask Abby, I'll work till 10.30 at night, several nights in a row, just trying to, to finish and sacrifice sleep because I like to do it. And say, well, how do you do that? My secret is Skittles. Just a handful of Skittles, man, I can go another hour. So they make fun of me in my group. And sometimes Matt, he's new to the group. He and Cheryl, man, they're... They're, they're, walking, they're, they're walking with the Lord and trying to listen and become one of the 318. And I, I, I love them to death. Our group is proud of them. We, we've got some other couples doing the same thing in our group. But Matt, he always liked to make fun of me about Skittles. But we were talking this week in the group, and he told a story as we were being challenged about evangelism from Pat's leadership and the, and the material. And, and he, he was like, well, you know, man, he's like, I, I showed up on a job site. I think that's what he said, something that's so fat. And he said, there was this lady that she was eating Skittles. And I said to her, hey, my pastor likes Skittles. 
And he found himself in a spiritual conversation just like that. And I was like, but that's how easy it is. So I bought everybody a pack of Skittles. All right. So the guys are going to hand them out. Now, here's the deal. (laughs) Don't open these Skittles. These Skittles are not for you. Like, I'm, like, I want you to see this. I want you to take these Skittles. I want you to pray over them. And I want you to ask the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, to show you who is held hostage in darkness and needs these Skittles. And you just pray over it until the Lord leads you and you keep them with you. Don't leave them in a hot car. Eh? And when the Lord shows you, you're gonna, you, you, when you walk this out, you're going to experience intimacy. And you're going to taste something that's so much better than eating that Skittle. And that's what we mean to say, taste and see that the Lord is good. And when he leads you, you you're, you're going to experience, I believe with all my heart, if you will do this in prayer, lay it before the Lord and say, Lord, show me who needs these Skittles. And you give it to them. You never know what's going to come from that conversation if you soak it in prayer. Even if nothing comes from it, I believe the kingdom will move in it. And so I want you to do that exercise. I want you to celebrate. Um, And I want you to, every time you think about Skittles, think about somebody stuck in darkness. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the vision that you've breathed into us as a body to be a church that's all about the word and sets the the captive free from the darkness that binds. Thank you for these people. Thank you for their faith. Thank you for the feeling and the experience of real, genuine, spiritual family we have. And as you bless us, Lord, Help us to have the discernment to make the right decisions that that intimacy with you is the key for us keeping our intimacy with each other. And that's what the world needs. More of you. They don't need more of me. They don't need more of any person in here. They need more of you. And so, Lord, help us to lay down our lives and have more of you. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.